It's 12.08. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So how about those Brewers? Let us put this in perspective. Best record in the National League, third best, most third most wins in all of baseball out of their last 18 games. And you know, they have not been playing spuds. You know, one of the things we talked about a month ago is the Brewers were winning a lot of games, but they were winning games against teams that they should beat. I mean, they were beating... With all due respect, some of the worst teams in the league. They were playing San Diego, you know, Padres. They were playing, you know, the Cincinnati Reds. They were pay- playing the Miami Marlins. Now, you, you can, you know, you're, you're supposed to beat those teams, and the Brewers were beating those teams like a drum. But the question became, all right, what when they, what happens when they start playing better teams? They go out to Arizona, you know, play Arizona. Now, Arizona's in a slump, but when they started playing the Brewers, you know, 15, 20 games ago, Arizona was one of the hottest teams in baseball. Colorado, one of the hotter teams in baseball until they meet the Brewers. And and the beat goes on and on and on. Brewers come back from a tough 10-game road trip. They win 7 out of 10 games on the road, 7-3. and three. Come home uh, for a 10-game road trip, 10-game homestand. You know, where they're going to be playing the New York Mets, which are a good team. They, um, you know, played Arizona, which again is in a bit of a slump, but still a good team. And then St. Louis. And the first eight games, they are seven and one. Seven and one. I happen to be at the one game they lost. <laughs> that first game. And I'm going tonight. So hopefully, going with my best friend Evan, hopefully he will not be a jinx this evening. But, but okay, let's just put it in perspective. Just looking at the 10 game road trip and the eight games that they've been at home, they are, they are 14 and four. I mean, 14 and four. The offense is starting to come around. Um, it's just, it is fun baseball. It's fun baseball to listen to on the radio. So you should be tuning in to, you know, WTMJ and hearing the broadcast. And it's certainly fun baseball to go out and watch. And I, I'm telling you, this has the makings of a potentially special season. So if you are a sports fan, I encourage you. I mean, go out to the ballpark. I, I was a little bit disappointed. Well, they had really huge crowds the last couple of days. But, you know, earlier in the earlier part of the homestand, I mean, they were drawing well. I mean, announced crowd, 27, 28,000. But, you know, with the team playing this well, with the weather getting nice, with school out for a lot of kids, this is the time where, you know, they, they should be drawing 35, 40,000 people every night. This is the type of team, and it's potentially the type of season that does not come along very often. So join me out there tonight. I'm going to be out there, going to see the game. Um, and again, if you can't get out to see the game, listen to it here on WTMJ. All right, let us get started. News today. It's, I guess, no surprise, but Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett says that he's not running for governor. Now, Barrett himself floated this trial balloon, what, four, five, six weeks ago. Well, he's not necessarily satisfied with the people that are running. And, you know, maybe then there's this that what you inevitably hear from these politicians is, well, there's there there's a lot of people that are encouraging me to get involved in the race, which typically means you're talking to yourself in the mirror as you're shaving. You know, I think I think, Tom, hey, Tom, I think you would be a great guy to run for governor. Um, well, I, I think that whole idea went over like a lead balloon. Tom Barrett has run for governor three other times. Once he didn't get out of the Democratic primary back in, what was it, 2002. He was the Democratic nominee in both 2010 and in the recall election of 2012 and actually did worse in 2012 than he did in 2010. 
So you kind of wonder, he's going to be 65 in December. You know, was this the vision of the state Democratic Party? But it does mean that we're not going to get a chance to use some of the slogans that Tom Barrett could have run for mayor on. For example, Barrett for governor, a trolley for every town. I mean, you know, let's let him do for, I don't know, for you, you name it. You know, uh, Green Bay, you know, what he's doing for Milwaukee. Let's spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. Let's spend a million dollars to try to, you know, put a trolley in Green Bay. Uh, Tom Barrett, you know, you got, there's the old, uh, got milk ad. He could, hey, Tom Barrett for governor. Got crime? <laughs> you want crime? You know, we got a lot of it down here in Milwaukee. Tom Barrett for governor. Let me do for Wapaka what I've done for Milwaukee. Tom Barrett for governor, our wheel tax can be rolling your way. Yeah, again, let's let's bring all those successful things we have had in Milwaukee, let's bring it statewide. The truth of the matter is, Barrett was probably about a 45% solution, meaning that uh, he probably gets about 45% of the vote, and Scott Walker ends up getting about 54% of the vote if he had run I think the reality is Barrett just looked and saw that there wasn't going to be much, if any, support for him. Now, I I do love the statement that comes out. He says, I agree that now is the time for change in Madison, and that starts with electing a new governor, a governor who puts Wisconsin first and not his national ambitions, Barrett said in the statement. But the fact is, I love my job as a mayor, and that's where my heart is. Oh, give me a break. I love my job as a mayor. That's why you have been trying desperately for the last eight years to get a different job. That's why you ran for governor in 2010. That's when you ran for governor in 2012. If you genuinely loved your job, you would not be looking to get another job. The reality here is, and I give Tom Barrett credit for recognizing it, there was little or no support for a Barrett candidacy. Little or no support. And I think at the end of the day, Tom Barrett ended up realizing that if he would have run, he I don't know that he would have gotten the nomination. He has this big war chest that he's built up. He's got several hundred thousand dollars, I think six hundred thousand um, dollars that he can he could have used in the gubernatorial race. And, and that might have been enough in a crowded primary to. I don't know, perhaps buy the Democratic nomination with advertising and stuff. But I think most people were telling him, Tom, your time has come and it is gone. Didn't work out. So hope you like your job in this mayor of the city of Milwaukee. Maybe you'll be able to keep that for the foreseeable future. Don't know. But you've got no chance at being governor. So the mayor's excuse is he says he loves his job as a mayor. That's where his heart is. What he's really saying is I have talked to a lot of people. I've kind of gotten that sort of honest assessment, and I recognize I'm never going to be the governor of the state of Wisconsin. So, Tom, a trolley for every town, Barrett, steps down. Big loser in this decision? Well, it's Scott Walker, candidly, because I will tell you something. I think the Walker folks were licking their chops at the idea of Tom Barrett running a third time. Gee, a liberal from the city of Milwaukee with all the problems in the city of Milwaukee, wanting to do for the state of Wisconsin what he's done for Milwaukee, huh, that's a real recipe for success. Tom Barrett says he's staying put. All right, when we come back, a group that's not staying put, over the veter- over the Memorial Day holiday, the post office decides, well, it's going to crack down on veterans. Stick around. It's 1216. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
It's 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, chances are over the last weekend, you might have been going into a business somewhere along the way, and you may have seen a veteran selling one of those those like artificial red poppies that they distribute. If you don't know the history of this, just bear with me for, for just a second. The, the red poppy um, traces its origin. Um, it's an international symbol for fallen soldiers. It traces its symbol back to World War One, where you had all the fighting that was in Western Europe. And what happened is, you know, very various poppies um, grew wild and, and sprung up over over dead bodies. That's kind of the, the history of this. Veterans Group and the Allied Nations have distributed these artificial poppies um, ever since to remember the dead and to raise money for the, the various causes. And you might remember that. The Veterans of Foreign Wars um, coordinated the first poppy campaign back in 1922. They still do this. The American Legion has its own version of the flower. So it, it's not uncommon to be going into a grocery store or something, and you'll see you know, some veterans who are you know, selling or they're giving away the poppies in exchange for donations. I, I know I saw several of those folks over the course of the last couple days. Because of the foot traffic that is generated, post offices have been a favorite location, um, locale for the veterans. A lot of people, you know, coming in to mail packages. So for years and years and years, post offices have, have had the veterans outside. And again, people will come in. They will make the donations. Um, the the donations at post offices are are a big chunk of, of revenue that you know gets generated depending again on on the local depending where the post office is and on the the particular you know locality but but it's a it is a big deal now the post office has a policy that they have not vigorously enforced in the past which says you're not supposed to solicit on the grounds of the post office. However, this has not been a policy which has been enforced with any degree of of vigor. It's kind of been, well, okay, we know we've got this policy, but they're veterans. They're raising money for veterans' causes. They estimate that about 20% of the people who work at the post office itself are veterans. So even though there's this policy in writing, it's kind of wink, 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 you know, no harm, no foul. These are for good causes. Over uh, the recent past, the post office has now been vigorously enforcing the ban and to the point that they are telling these veterans groups that despite the fact that you've been here for years, you are no longer welcome, which brings the story I want to talk to you about to, to mind. There's um, one particular post office in kind of upstate New York which for years and years, decades, has been, uh, again, staffing. They've been having veterans stand outside and distribute these poppies in exchange for donations. And it's been a big fundraiser for them. And there's this one guy, 79 years old, 79 years old. He was in the military going back to the 1950s. He was, um, um, let's see, in 1958, when he was 19, you know, he, he was in the Navy, and he's been very active in veterans groups. So he's standing outside the post office the other day, and he's, again, distributing these poppies like they do. And the post office officials come out, and they say, nope, you know, you 
you have to go. Um, we've decided that we are going to clamp down on these poppy campaigns. And so we know we've let you stay here in the past, but this is the year we are tossing you out. Right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand that they have this, this overall rule in place, presumably because they don't want the Harry Krishnas chanting in the postal lobby, you know, trying to beg money. But at the same time, you know, they have made exceptions for veterans groups for years and years and years. And this is the year that they've apparently decided, all right, no more of this. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The Postal Service, to me, has a lot of problems. And you can kind of quibble with the way the Postal Service is, is managed in many respects. I think this is one of those situations where, regardless of what the rule is that gives them the authority to ban solicitors, given what this solicitation is, given the historical significance and the fact that these folks, these veterans, have been allowed to be there for decades. I think telling them that they can't solicit, they can't distribute these poppies outside of post offices is just ridiculous. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And given the fact that they have been doing it for years and years and years, my belief is grandfather them in. I don't believe that just because you let the veterans distribute poppies doing something that they have been doing for decades means that you have to allow every sort of crazy group to solicit. I think you can pick and choose. I think you can make exceptions. And I think that you should be able to, again, say, okay, these groups have been doing this for years and years. As long as they want to continue we're going to allow them to do it. 414-799-1620. And the idea of tossing a 79-year-old man who's distributing these poppies prior to Memorial Day off the premises. Wow. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Vern in Pewaukee. Vern, you're first. Hello. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, before I turn my radio off, I heard you say that it's another way that the post office is shooting itself in the foot. Imagine just the negative uh, image they're setting by kicking that 79-year-old off their steps and not allowing veterans to sell poppies. You know, the post office has a lot of things that I don't like. For instance, they they make you make an appointment online now for a passport because they might have two or three people a day. But this is just another way that they're going to set themselves up to look really stupid. That's what I think. Um, Well, I mean, thanks. It it, it does. And and I think, I mean, thanks for calling. it's one of these unpopular decisions. Look, I, I understand the whole concept of rules are rules. And I understand this idea that you don't want every group out there coming in and, uh, again, saying, okay, we're going to set up and you're going to have to run a gamut of people, like begging you know, to, to get in to, to send your packages out or buy your stamps. So I understand what the purpose behind that is. But at the same time, if you've been allowing a particular group – on your premises for decades. To me, the answer is, okay, we're going to, we're going to grandfather this group in. You know, we're going to recognize we've had it. Now, if it ever gets to the point where, you know, the American Legion or the veterans of foreign wars decides they're going to abandon this poppy thing, well, then we're going to take a, another look at this. But just because you let the one, I don't think that you mean, make it a, a mean that you can't allow others. And, I guess my evidence would be 
You've been allowing this for years and years, and you haven't had problems with the other groups. I understand what they're trying to do, but I just think they're dead wrong here. And I think, in particular, if you're going to implement this policy, doing it over Memorial Day weekend is particularly what we would call bad optics. Stick around. 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Next story comes from a little town called Holly Hill, Florida, which is by Daytona Beach, which is... Daytona Beach is on the 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 Gulf, not on the Gulf. It's on the the Atlantic side of Florida, um, kind of a little bit north of of Orlando to to give you the the idea. So kind of central Florida, maybe a little bit further north. Anyhow, story comes. This happened the other night at a Little Caesars pizza place. So if you can kind of picture that, we all know Little Caesars. And the story is there's a 28 year old guy. And he's he's closing down the, the restaurant. It's about eleven thirty mid or midnight or so, and he's like the last guy at the Little Caesars. I mean, he he's closed it down for the night. He's sweeping up and he's getting ready to leave the, the building. So he's going out of the building, getting ready to go home. Some of this is captured on the the surveillance cameras that they have at the parking lot. As he's as he's leaving the building. He's attacked by a guy who's wearing one of those creepy clown masks, one of those kind of like really scary clown masks. And and you see this. The surveillance video shows the guy who's wearing the clown mask attacking this 28-year-old man. He's got a wooden plank. It's like a two-by-four, and he's wailing on the employee as the employee exits the thing. So apparently what happens then is, okay, the guy wearing the clown mask hits the employee over the head, he kind of goes down, um, and then then they're involved in a struggle, at which point in time the attacker, wearing the clown mask, pulls out a pair of scissors and starts trying to stab him. So here you have it, you know, somebody leaving the restaurant. They don't know exactly what the motivation was so far, um, whether this was going to be a robbery, was he going to try to overpower him and then go in and rob the place? Nobody knows for sure. But now they're in a struggle. The, so the employee been whacked over the head with this two-by-four with a plank. Now you've got somebody wearing one of these clown masks. has got scissors trying to stab him. Well, what happens is the employee, this 28-year-old guy, is a concealed carry permit holder. And he's carrying a gun in the struggle. He's able to pull his gun out of his pocket and at very close range fire multiple rounds um, into the suspect. Um, he fired four to five shots at close range, hitting and ultimately killing the, the subject, killing his attacker. At that point in time, the guy takes the gun, puts it on the trunk of his vehicle and calls police to report the shooting. So, I mean, he's not running away. I was attacked. This is what I was doing. And the surveillance video, they don't show the actual shooting, but they do show the the attack. So the police come, they take a look at this, and they determine, well, this is about as clear a case of self-defense as you can ever imagine. Guy was attacked as he's going out of the store. He shoots. He kills him. All right, there's nothing to see here. Now, I don't know if the district attorney has formally passed on this yet, but they're going to. There's not going to be a legal problem with him. All right, here's where it gets interesting, though. Many of these restaurants and many businesses have policies that prevent 
or make it illegal, unlawful, not illegal, but a violation of work rules to have firearms on your on the premises. For example, the I would I don't know it's all, but the vast majority of places that deliver around here have policies that say if you're a pizza delivery driver, you can't have a concealed uh, firearm on your person. You're not allowed to carry guns while you're working for a variety of reasons. Now, I've been trying all morning to figure out whether for sure Little Caesars still has this policy. At one point in time, they, they did, um, and my guess is they probably do. So let's assume, for the sake of this discussion, for the sake of argument, that Little Caesars, like many of these national stores and like many local chains, you know, have this policy that says you are not allowed to carry a gun when you're at work. And he clearly had the gun on him. He had the gun on him as he was leaving because he was able to pull out the gun and shoot and kill the guy that was attacking him. All right, no criminal charges are going to be brought against him. But let's tee this up. Our number, 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What does Little Caesars do? What should the employer do in a situation like this if we assume, for the sake of our discussion, that they had a policy which, concealed carry permit or not, says we you know, don't want our employees, while they are working, to be carrying firearms or no firearms on our premises? Is this a situation where this man, who would probably certainly be beaten up, maybe dead, were it not for the fact that he had this firearm, is this a situation where Little Caesar should come in and fire him for violating a policy that I believe they have? Or is this kind of no harm, no foul? If you don't fire him, are you setting a precedent that says, okay, well, you know, we, we say we don't want people carrying guns on our premises, but uh, here's a guy who had a gun who used it. Can Little Caesars and should Little Caesars look the other way? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, we discuss next. My answer is, this man is a hero. I think it would be, what's the word I'm looking for? Yes, insane, if Little Caesars were to discipline him in any fashion at all. 414-799-1620, and actually, I think situations like this really underscore why some of these places should be re-examining their policies about whether or not people lawfully allowed to carry concealed firearms should be allowed to carry concealed firearms at work. 414-799-1620, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1241. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1245. So glad to have you with us. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Michael in Pewaukee. Michael, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. How are you doing, Jeff? Good. What do you think? Well, okay, so the guy... He's probably dead if he doesn't have the gun on him when he's attacked by the crazy clown. What does is, what is Little Caesars do with him? So, I mean, I, I think obviously when you're, when you're like, listening to that, you're saying, well, I'm, you know, it's probably better that the guy had the gun on him. But I think Little Caesars as a private employer has every right to enforce their policies, mm-hmm. um, even if it violates, you know, the Second Amendment simply because it's a private employer. Um, just like, you know, I'm thinking of uh, the NFL policy violating a freedom of speech right, the First Amendment, but it's uh, that private employer's right to enforce laws or send fines or whatever. So while we're talking about it saying what should be, I think it's every right of Little Caesars to follow through with the violation of their policy. Okay, so uh, you're the guy that runs Little Caesars. What what do you do? Let, let's, let's say you look at this and you determine, okay, he shouldn't have had the gun, but he'd probably be dead or severely injured if he didn't have the gun. 
do you do you fire him or do you simply say, hey, we want to remind you of our policy. Don't do this again in the future. What do you do? I think you you just. Well, I mean, I'll, I know I use the NFL as a analogy, so we'll just keep going with that. Um, I think you you say, well, you know, we're not going to fire you in the in the in the future. You don't do that again, just like with the NFL. It didn't, you know, this didn't happen overnight with uh, the recent rules that were put in place. It was a season later after a lot of talk within the organization. So I think what you do is you say, you know, you shouldn't have done it in the future. Don't do it. Um, and you give right him now. a warning. Yeah, no, th- yeah. thanks. I, I think thanks. I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I, I think I, I think that you, you have. See, this is my thing with rules or rules. I I understand where like some of these rules come from. However, as I said before, I, I mean, I think if you've got a pizza delivery driver, for example, and he wasn't a driver. He was a he was he was the guy that was like working behind the counter. I don't know if he was making the pizzas or whatever, but he was the last one there. And I presume that this was a robbery. I presume that somebody was waiting for him to leave, he opens the door, the idea is you attack him, you knock him out, you get in and you rob the store. That That's what I presume, you know, happened in this particular situation. Now, like I say, I think, you know, I if I were one of the, if I ran a company where you had, you know, employees who were exposed to this type of potential violence, I, I'd be open to allowing, at least in some circumstances, if they wanted to, allowing them to carry firearms. In this case, though, assuming Little Caesars has that policy, I agree with you, Michael, that the idea would be, okay, even if he violated the policy, to me this is a no harm, no foul. He's alive because he was armed, and even if it's against the policy, I would I would counsel him. I would remind him, you know, we have this policy, you're not supposed to have guns. Um, please, you know, don't do it again. Leave it at home in the future, and we're going to work on having added security. But there's no way I would get, I, there's no way I would fire this guy under these circumstances. He's the victim. Adam in Milwaukee. Adam, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah. Um, philosophically, I agree with you a thousand percent, but they got to fire him. Uh, or their policies, not, or none of their policies are worth the paper they're written on. I mean, I, all of this to me stems on insurance liability. And if we could get uh, uh, judges to throw out these cases of, of litigation because someone gets shot ac- accidentally, that'd be cool. But that would never happen. And it, if, if, man, if they don't fire him, so they counsel a guy, great. So what if the next employee does something? What you, then what are you going to do? Well, I guess and, it, it would depend on the, the circumstance. I mean, you, I guess here's my question. I mean, you don't. People violate company policies all, all the time, and they don't always get fired, um, don't you? And, and I don't think that's wrong for employers to cut. You know, again, there has to be some degree of consistency, but you do take into account different facts. I mean, I guess I I don't think that just because you don't fire this guy means if two weeks from now somebody at some other little Caesars in the back pulls out a pistol and starts waving it around, that you can't fire them. I guess I. I think you have to look at everything on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, if we didn't live in a litigious society, and you're a former attorney, and then that it would be like it would be like open season on anyone who's got a gun and they decide to play hero, which I would love to see, but I don't think it'll ever happen. Well, okay, thanks for calling. I mean, I, again, I, I I understand the, the the argument that there has to be a degree of consistency, and I again, I understand why these these companies have the policy because they don't want they're concerned about the liability and they're putting their own liability concerns in some cases ahead of the safety of their employees. And that's, 
that says if if Little Caesars has that policy, and a lot of companies do, that that says I think something about the the, the company. But I mean, I I understand there's these liability concerns. I understand it again for the purpose of our discussion. If they have this policy, the guy violated the rule, but he's still the victim. At the end of the day, he's the guy that's leaving the restaurant that gets hit by the two by four and suddenly finds himself in a struggle for his life with some crazy person wearing a clown mask who's trying to stab him with scissors. It would seem to me to be the height of injustice to turn around and say, yes, you had that gun, but you know, and you weren't supposed to have the gun on the premises, but you know, you'd be dead if you didn't have it. Um, to, to fire him. I, I just think that would be, first of all, I think it would be an overreaction. Secondly, I think the backlash in, in a particular community could be devastating to that particular business, which is why, again, I go back to what I said earlier. If I'm the human resources people, I call them in and I say, listen, this is our policy. You shouldn't have the gun. We're giving you a warning. Don't have the gun. We're glad you're alive. We're glad you're going to be back at work tomorrow. Um, don't bring the gun with you. If you can't live with that, I'm sorry, then you're going to have to find some other place to work. But we're going to we're going to say in this particular case, no harm, no foul. That is how I would handle it. 1252, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Eric Bilstadt, some breaking news. We do have some breaking news. Roseanne, her sitcom has been canceled by ABC. And that is because of those bizarre tweets Mm -hmm. that she sent out. It really was a firestorm. She had tweeted last night that uh, some racist comments about Valerie Jarrett, and she tweeted some other things stuff too. about Hillary about, about Chelsea Clinton. Mm-hmm. I mean, it mm-hmm. was I I I you know I was going to do a I don't step on your newscast. But I was going to sure. do a topic about it, but it's just so bizarre and it's so out there. And I mean, what she said, she said Chelsea Clinton was married to. Oh, she, she got Sor- it completely Soros's wrong, right? Or it was like just that, completely yeah. wrong and obscene and vulgar. So and she weird. apologized, but one of the head writers, Wanda Sykes, uh, had quit the show today because of this. Other actors and actresses in the cast had commented saying that this was an unfortunate thing, that they felt sad by it and, and were disappointed by her comments. But done. ABC canceling Roseanne. The whole thing is just, it, it's just, it's bizarre. <laughs> And it was a series of tweets. It wasn't oh, just yes. like it wasn't just like one tweet. It was like this series of of tweets, which makes you wonder what she was thinking or what she was doing or or whatever. So mm-hmm. the show is canceled. Show is canceled. Hmm. Maybe we'll talk about that. Twelve fifty three. Jeff Wagner. WTMJ. Twelve fifty six. Jeff Wagner. WTMJ. Okay. Several weeks ago, we, we did a topic, uh, the Roseanne show, and I, I've. A little Roseanne Barr goes a long way with me. It's always been that case. And I've always thought she's the ultimate loose cannon. But, you know, they, they bring the show back. There's the revival, and she plays a, a character who's very supportive of Donald Trump. The liberal liberal media goes nuts. Liberal critics' heads are exploding. How dare you have somebody out there that's a Trump supporter or whatever? And I thought it was refreshing, and we did topics talking about how, again, this shows how the, the mainstream media and the lefty elites – concentrated on both coasts, just just don't understand what goes on in, in middle America. Now, the danger of this is when I, I actually said this at the time, too, with Roseanne, you, you never know exactly what you're going to get because she has a history of what I would describe charitably as being erratic behavior. So anyhow, the show, the show is a success, and they renew it for a second season. you got the cast, you got the crew, everybody's you know looking forward to this, and then – Starting early yesterday, she goes on on social media, 
and I can't read all the stuff because I work in radio. But 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 she starts off by going after Chelsea Clinton and claiming that Chelsea Clinton is married to you know, a, a nephew of George Soros. George Soros, the big lefty billionaire who's trying to reshape America in his lefty ways. Um, so she claims that Chelsea Clinton is is married to George Soros's nephew. That's that's not true. She then goes on and attacks uh, Soros, promoting this idea that he's I don't know trying to promote uh, some sort of mind control thing like that. She she attacks Soros, and that, that's that's okay. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, attacking Soros. Then she goes on and calls a CNN reporter a mouth breather. She, I can't say what she says about Hillary Clinton. You know, you can look it up on on the various descriptions, but it, it's not a very nice thing that, that she says about Hillary Clinton. And then she goes on, she goes after Valerie Jarrett. Valerie Jarrett was, you know, part of the, the Obama inner circle. She's one of the women that, that came with Obama from Chicago, um, there's all sorts of reasons to to not like Valerie Jarrett. I mean, it, it, there, there's all sorts of reasons. You know, she's I think a controversial figure in her own right. But Roseanne Barr, you know, tweets out, and, and this is the way of describing it: If M- the Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes had a baby, it would equal Valerie Jarrett. What is this? I mean, it's just it's it's nutty sort of of stuff. I mean, it's just nutty stuff. Clearly, you know, clearly, clearly, you know, racist. I mean, my my goodness. And as Eric was just saying, the breaking news is that ABC has just decided that um, her comments abhorrent, repugnant, inconsistent with our values. We have decided to cancel her show. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did they do the right thing? We'll be back to talk about it in just a minute. It's 109. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, one of the sort of surprise hits of the last TV show season was the, the reboot of The Roseanne Show on ABC. It was also a very controversial show from the beginning in the eyes of some because when they brought the show back, you know, Roseanne, who plays a sort of middle class, maybe lower middle class character, big supporter of Donald Trump, and that's at least what the character played, and there was all sorts of political dialogue, and you had a lot of the critics whose heads were just exploding. How dare you put a character on TV that's a conservative and supports Trump and, and all that? So the, the show got a, a lot of bad reviews because people didn't like the, the politics of the main character. At the same time, it was it was a, a huge success, debuted to a huge rating success and, and maintained really strong ratings. I think it was probably the highest rated comedy in the, the second half of this season. They renewed it for another 10 or 13 episodes. Roseanne has always been, always been a loose cannon. And that apparently came out yesterday when early morning she takes to Twitter and she goes after Chelsea Clinton. Don't know what prompted that. She goes after a CNN reporter calling him a blanking mouth breather. She goes after Hillary Clinton um, in sort of this kind of rambling but very, very nasty description. And then she wraps up by going after Valerie Jarrett. Valerie Jarrett is African-American woman who, if you don't know, she was 
part of the Obama inner circle. She goes back to their Chicago days. She was a White House advisor. There's all sorts of reasons, in my opinion, to not like Valerie Jarrett. But, but, Roseanne Barr texts or tweets, Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes had a baby. That would equal VJ, meaning Valerie Jarrett. Um, all right, and there's no way you can spin this. This is, of course, a very racist tweet. Um, after this comes out, she sends out an apology. Her apology um, from this morning, I apologize to Valerie Jarrett and to all Americans. I am truly sorry for making a bad joke about her politics and her looks. I should have known better. Forgive me. My joke was in bad taste. Um, meanwhile, while this is all playing out, she's taking a lot of heat, including from some members of the cast and other members of the um, Hollywood community. ABC has announced that they are now canceling the show as a result of this. Their statement is, Roseanne's Twitter statement is abhorrent, repugnant, and inconsistent with our values, and we have decided to cancel her show, the statement read. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, is ABC overreacting to uh, these tweets of the last 24 hours. Roseanne has apologized. Now, keep in mind, you had Joy Reid, who was nowhere near as big a star um, as Roseanne was, but you know she was uncovered that she sent out years ago all sorts of like, writings that were homophobic in the extreme, and she continues to den- falsely, I think, deny that some of them were hers. She's issued an apology, and she's still on the air. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and I don't want to bury the lead. I, I think... Um, I, I don't think ABC really had any choice under the these circumstances, and you do you kind of wonder what Roseanne Barr was thinking. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Bradley in Green Bay. Bradley, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah. Hey, Jeff. Uh, did they do the right thing? Absolutely, one hundred percent. You know, there, this we have gotten so out of control with social media, uh, tweeting that sort of thing that you can just say whatever hatred you might have in your heart and throw it out there like you said yourself jeff the the you know the slam against chelsea clinton there's no truth to it mm-hmm. but there's no consequence to people spreading that type of venom out there there's no like you can go out there you can make your statements that are not true clearly by our president we have seen this and there's no consequence to spreading that now freedom of speech I, you know, there is definitely, I think, uh, you know, changes coming in this country where social media platforms do not allow for you to just spout off whatever you feel like saying anytime you want with no consequence. You can be sued for slander, uh, you know, if, if something is published or, or, or whatever. But it seems like on Twitter or uh, on social media platforms, it's just do whatever you want. Now, well, now, well, right. I, and, and Brad, you know, what people misunderstand about the First Amendment, the First Amendment says government shall not, you know, restrict freedom of speech. It, it doesn't say, so it, this isn't government acting. This is her employer saying, right. all right, yeah. you know, she, you know she, she said what she said. That's fine. She has a right to do it. But, you know, we're... We're going to just say, you know, we don't want to be associated with somebody who's yeah. who's saying this. And that's yeah, I, I get it, you know. Jeff. And listen, I'll, I'll admit I am a pretty hardcore liberal. That does not mean that I agree with when liberals go off the deep end either. That does not mm-hmm. mean I'm in that camp and say, oh, that's OK. Yep. And I agree with that. I don't. I think that there's a certain sense of 
reasonability to everything. But shame on her for spouting this venom or anybody, for that matter, that takes to these platforms just to spill out their hatred or venom to people. What are we coming to these days? And I'm not trying to get all religious. And well, stuff. well, no, no, no. Thanks to call Bradley. So, no, I mean, I don't think it's a question of religious or anything like that. It, it is. This is part of the problem with the the internet that people now Roseanne Roseanne has always been out there. She she's always I, I mean I, I I mean you, if you look at this is the woman that's you know grabbing at her crotch while she's singing the national anthem in San Diego years back. I mean she's always been sort of in my opinion kind of unstable and erratic, and you've seen that you know over the years. And now she's decided to play in the world of politics. And I, I do think, again, I, I think you can make a fair argument that there might be, if if there had been an equivalent thing that somebody who was a darling of the left had done, would the consequence have been as severe? If somebody, and again, here we're, we're not talking just politics here. We're, we're talking the, the racist aspect of this as well. Um, I, I don't think that she would have gotten fired for saying what she said about Chelsea Clinton or Hillary Clinton or the CNN reporter. It's when she kind of crossed that line and, and went into the racist stuff. So it's impossible for me to defend this. Now, I do think it's a fair comment to say, gee, if you had somebody on the left that was equally of high as high profile who said something that was the equivalent of what she said, well, you know, would the reaction have been the same? And maybe it wouldn't have. I mean, maybe it maybe it wouldn't have. I, I don't know. But I, I do know that she crossed the line. And I think, you know, ABC is certainly well within its rights in saying, you know, under these particular circumstances, you know, she it, it, it's not it's not her politics. It's not the success of her show. But under these circumstances, you can't be saying things like this. And if you do, you know, you're, you're going to be held accountable and in this case. You're going to lose your show. And it's not just it's not just her losing her show, but, I mean, she's the face of this. Think of all the members of the, the cast and the crew and all these people who have families. I mean, they're, they're going to be looking for work now as well, all because uh, of the, these just stupid and are admittedly racist tweets that the woman sends out. You wonder what she could have possibly been thinking. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I don't think she got a raw deal from ABC. I think she forced ABC's hand, and ABC really had no choice in the matter other than to do what they did. And I, I, I don't think we can defend the indefensible. And again, I don't. I don't know that Roseanne's ever been what I would consider to be a, a conservative. Roseanne's kind of just out there, and this is one of the problems that you have when you kind of hitch your wagon to somebody who is. I, I think demonstrated that they're unstable because this is an unstable act. 414-799-1620. I, I only saw about half the shows. I thought they were okay. But but I don't think I don't think ABC is a bad guy here. And I, I think you just kind of wonder what was going on in Roseanne Barr's mind when she decided she was going to send these tweets out there. Did ABC treat her unfairly? My answer would be no. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 118. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's see, our text line. Jeff, I'm a diehard Roseanne fan, but she crossed the line big time and definitely deserved what she got. However, I do feel horrible for the rest of the cast having to be punished for her ignorant statement. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the downside. I mean, you're not going to... You're not going to have to be holding any yard sales for Roseanne Barr. But, I mean, you, you have all sorts of people who work on that show, and they are out of their job. All right, I'm getting a number of texts to this point. ABC did the right thing with Roseanne, but should apply the same rules for Joy Behar on The View. She's the one that kind of went after Mike, forget kind of, that went after Mike Pence over his Christianity. And um, I, I think that that is a fair comment that ABC... All right, did ABC underreact with Joy Behar? Um, that's that's fair. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, but that doesn't to me mean that you, you don't treat Roseanne Barr like you treated Roseanne Barr. Jeff, thank you for refusing to defend the indefensible. Don't waver because I would guess by next week uh, several conservatives will be using Roseanne's cancellation as evidence of liberal bias or some other nonsense. Yeah, there, there's again, there's all sorts of things to that Roseanne show that I think you could point to as evidence of liberal bias, particularly like the critics who were just appalled that you could have you could have a comedy that actually you know made fun of people who opposed Donald Trump. I think that's a fair example of liberal bias. But ABC deciding no, we're just not going to tolerate this sort of stuff. Um, and, and the reality is, I mean, I don't know whether ABC is taking the high road or whether ABC is just making this business choice that, you know, if she says stuff like this, now she's too controversial. She's too much of a hot potato. And, you know, why go ahead with the show? Because she's, she's damaged it because of, you know, her remarks. So I don't know what ABC's motivation is. But to me, it doesn't matter. Um, Roseanne brought this on herself. Amy in New Berlin. Amy, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Um, I've worked in the dance world for a really long time, and most big companies where you have a contract like this for a show, you have a morals clause. Mm -hmm. If you violate that morals clause, you can be terminated immediately. She's working for ABC. The parent company is Disney. What did she think was going to happen? Well, I, I, I would guess, Amy, she wasn't thinking, you know, I mean, I, I, just, I, I, I just, and if anybody tries to come back that this is a liberal or a conservative thing, it isn't. It's a Disney thing. Disney makes you sign a morals clause when you sign a contract with them. And it's just that simple. She broke her contract, period. If, if, Amy, it had been one of the many liberal stars who had, made some sort of similarly racist comments. Do you think that ABC would have reacted in that same way? Oh, absolutely, I do. I, I honestly do, because they it's Disney. It's, right. When it boils, I've, I have had students work for Disney. When it comes back to Disney, they are ridiculously strict about upholding their brand and their image. And they, I, I was a little surprised that they and and kind of happy that they went ahead and did the show because it's not necessarily a Disney type show, right? Per se, but uh, yeah, absolutely, it's Disney. Disney does not play, and that's the bottom line. She was working for a, 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 a subsidiary of a Disney company. You don't, you just don't do that. You don't work for Disney, and you don't create that kind of controversy. You just don't. Well, right, and it, and it's. And it's not even like she's taking a controversial position. It's not like she's taking an, a, a position on, on some social issue exactly. that might run counter to, 
I don't know where, where the where the mainstream opinion is. I, there, there, you can't defend this tweet. It is clearly no, no, it a is, racist tweet. It is completely indefensible, and it's out of the blue. It's not like it's not like she's discussing someone's policy. I, I, she's I, not. You you would wonder. I mean, it's it, it's almost. I just I, I don't know. I want to. I don't want to speculate on on why you send something like this off. But it it does demonstrate the, the, the this whole danger with social media that you might think something, exactly. but but maybe that's you know you don't necessarily have to erp it out right away. No, no. It's I mean, it's it's the whole. It's in my mind. It's at the forefront of my brain. I'm going to send it out, and absolutely no filter. Not stopping to think whether it was appropriate whether or not it's going to jeopardize my job and all the people that are employed underneath me and that are employed because of me. I don't care. I'm just going to do what I want because I'm all important and I'm the only thing that matters. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, although I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure that much thought went into this. My, my, I mean, no, I, mean I, I don't know. I think it's just kind of like this is the first thing that pops into my head and I send it out. Thanks for calling me. But, I mean, you, you can't. You, you just can't defend this. Now, I'm getting a number, number of people who are also saying, well, you know, ESPN, Disney owns ESPN. And, you know, remember the whole thing with, you know, Jamel Hill, who was the, the anchor on that five o'clock uh, sports center who talked about, and I'm going to paraphrase, I forget the exact, but essentially that, you know, if you were a supporter of, of President Trump, that you had to be a white supremacist. And at first they didn't discipline her. And then she kept going and they ended up, you know, ultimately, you know, setting her on the bricks for a couple of weeks, but not firing her, even though she's doing a different show. That, I mean, I think that caused ESPN a lot of heartache. There's no doubt about it. But she wasn't, she was at least discussing stuff in the world, in the context of politics. And don't get me wrong, I think she was over the top. And I think if ESPN would have fired her, they would have been well within their rights to do it. I don't necessarily see that as a double standard because it's slightly different. This this was just overtly racist. And she's trying to, Roseanne, write it off as being a joke. And candidly, it's it's not it, it, number one, it's racist. Number two, I, I don't even know how anybody could see this as being funny. It's it's not a joke. It's a racist thing. You wonder what she's thinking. And uh, again, you bring this type of stuff on yourself. And the thing people you need to remember about the First Amendment, and I can't stress this enough because we have all sorts of conversations about the First Amendment, that applies to government. Government can't restrict people's rights to free speech short of uh, you know, screaming fire in a crowded theater but that doesn't mean employers have to look the other way and if you do something you know that embarrasses your employer or that hurts your brand or whatever well you might you're probably not going to be protected you have a right to say it but you don't have a right to be free of consequences for saying it and if you were a fan of the roseanne bar show and you were looking forward to season number two ain't happening 127 jeff wagner wtmj we have our winner of our four-pack of tickets um, to Summerfest. Listen for the balance of the week. Well, we're no program tomorrow because of early Brewers baseball, but Thursday and Friday we will be giving away more four-packs of tickets to go to Summerfest. Always one of my favorite events, and it was just told, confirming that I'll be broadcasting live from Summerfest for several days of the of the run. Uh, one day I think I'm on vacation. I'm going up to uh, uh, my brother and I are going up to Minnesota for a weekend. We're going to see the Eagles. Jimmy Buffett opening for the Eagles at Target Field. So I think that's that first Friday of Summerfest. But uh, otherwise, we'll be down there at Summerfest. To understand that the the scope of this decision for, for ABC, um, and uh, I mean, here, you got to understand how successful the Roseanne show was. 
Um, nine episodes. So it came out, you know, in in the during the winter. Nine episodes. It finished as TV's number one scripted series on all of broadcast. Roseanne had been averaging twenty two point one million viewers. It was, you know, dominating in its time slot. Roseanne was the highest rated and most watched series of the broadcast season. It had more viewers than NBC's This Is Us. It had more viewers than CBS's Big Bang Theory, which had been in a heated battle for top status. Roseanne Barr, apparently, what they, what they have these things called upfronts, and what they do is they invite all the network affiliates to Hollywood or New York or wherever, and they, they show them, they, they bring out a lot of the celebrities and they talk about the new shows that they're going to roll out in the fall. And ABC was so excited about Roseanne that she was the, the featured, she was the featured performer at this big upfront thing with all these sponsors and all the network affiliates and things like that. Um, this, this show was going to be like the centerpiece of, you know, ABC's Tuesday night programming. Um, and also again, this revival, was this recognition, and it's it's no surprise to many of us who've been talking about this for years, that you know the the liberal elites on both the East Coast and the West Coast don't understand America. I mean, they have their little bubbles, but they don't understand America, and they don't understand what was that dynamic that got Donald Trump elected. And so you have the constant you know belittling and the battering and the bashing, and, and that's fine. But all you get is it from one perspective. So, I mean, I think this was a recognition by ABC that maybe let's present the other side and maybe it will attract viewers. And the answer is it worked. My hope is that, you know, Roseanne Barr might have just been a poor messenger, but just because she was a poor messenger, my hope is that some of the networks and and mainstream media doesn't necessarily abandon the idea that in their entertainment programming and in their news programming, Maybe they're leaving a huge chunk of America behind, not necessarily people who believe that Donald Trump walks on water, but who who do appreciate you know some of the issues and some of the stances, and that's why people voted for him. And maybe again, you, you get out of some of the country club stuff on Los Angeles, or you know some of the you know fancy offices in New York, and, and maybe you start to see where mainstream America is. So just because Roseanne Barr crashes and burns because Again, she's always been the ultimate loose cannon. It doesn't necessarily mean that the concept of programming towards middle America is is a, a loser concept. So Roseanne Show, at some significant expense to ABC, canceled because of some tweets that she decided to send out. All right. Uh, Wisconsin's Morning News is going to be talking about this more extensively tomorrow. So I encourage you I encourage you to tune in and listen to Jane and Jean on, on a daily basis. But I, I actually, I, I, I understand that they're going to be discussing it in full, and it really caught my attention. We, in, in this country nowadays, maybe in this world nowadays, we are obsessed with video games. I cannot tell you how many people I talk to who have kids who are teenagers or preteens. And the, the first thing when we talk about the kids, the first thing is, they're trying to figure out how to get them out of the damn basement and get them away from the video games. I, I was at a, um, I, I was at a party, a, a cookout on uh, Saturday. It was on, on Saturday, Sunday, Sunday. It was actually it was more. It was I was on Sunday, and you know I, I, the people that were there. Lots of them were, again, you know, parents in their thirties and forties who had you know kids who were. 
you know, eight, nine, ten into the teens. And we had this lengthy discussion about how, to a person, all the parents are grappling with this idea of they're, they're battling, you know, getting the kids off the video games because there's this addictive nature of these things or whatever. And we, we were all talking about how well, everybody, we all grew up with video games, but there's something about the current generation, and maybe it's that you can play on the Internet with other people and stuff, but it, it's to a person. I heard these parents talking about you know, how it's this ongoing challenge to get kids away from video games. And some of the parents were saying, well, we just, we just finally we took them away. You know, we, we took them away, and, you know, we're the mean mom or the mean dad because we took them away. Other people were saying, well, you know, we, we put in these blocks that say that they can't act, they can't utilize the stuff after 8 o'clock at night, and that's the time when they're doing their homework, oh, whatever. But it, it's, this ongoing, it's this ongoing battle, and I know, you know parents are facing this on a regular basis. But there's something about these games that attract people. And a lot of the games that are really popular now, there's the Call of Duty, and the big thing now is Fortnite. And we've talked about that on this show before. Fortnite is in the, it's a, one of these games where 100 people play, you hook up on the Internet, and the goal is to kill everybody. And if you're the one, the last person standing, you end up winning, and you get points, and it accumulates. So it's one of these games, here, let, let's shoot them up, let's kill everybody. All right, there is a new game which is scheduled to debut in the next couple weeks. The game is called Active Shooter. And in some respects, it is, it's a shoot 'em up game like Call of Duty or Fortnite or whatever, in that you're out there and, you know, you're trying to, you know, kill somebody else. But here's, here's what makes Active Shooter different. Um, again, it's supposed to roll out next week, and um, it is described as a dynamic SWAT, like the SWAT teams, a dynamic SWAT simulator where players can choose to work as a member of a SWAT team attempting to disarm a shooter in a school, or they can be the shooter themselves. So in other words, it is a game that is set in a school, and you can choose which character you want to be. Do you want to be a member of the SWAT team that's there trying to stop the shooter from shooting up the school, or you can be the school shooter? Right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, we, we live in a country where, again, you, know, you, can, you have the freedom to put stuff like this out. At the same time, there is a matter, there are, there, of, I'm going to use the word taste, and that might not be the, the most appropriate word. Maybe you'll have a better word for it as we get into discussion. But there is a matter of, of, of taste. So here you have... Just a couple weeks after, you know, one of the worst school shootings in American history, just really a couple days after another one of these school shootings, you have a company which is coming out with a game which will allow you to portray yourself as a school shooter. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I am not arguing that there should be a law that says that you can't produce a game like this. All right? I don't think that's what the government's role is. 
Having said that, I think this is one where the free market needs to step up. And I don't think one, I think if you buy this game, there's something wrong with you. There really is. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, this is one where, okay, can the government stop you from, can the government stop this company from making this game? Probably not. And do you want the government getting involved in that? No. But individuals can. And I think this is one where everybody, I don't care if you're the most diehard gamer around, and I know there's all sorts of simulators that are out there, but this game, to the extent it allows you to be a school shooter, I think crosses any sort of line. And I think if you buy this, and anybody that decides to play this, it says as much about them in a not good way as it does about the game manufacturer. It's called Active Shooter. What do you think? Would, would you buy this? Would you play it? Would you allow your kids to play it? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 145. This is Jeff Wagner. 149, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. My producer, Gru, wants me to point out that this the, the video game is called Active Shooter. It's scheduled to launch a week from tomorrow, June 6th. Um, and and it if you're just tuning in, it, it's set in a school, and it allows you to pick your character that you want to play. You can be a member of the SWAT team that is trying to stop the active shooter who's in the school killing kids, or you can be the shooter who gets points for killing kids and killing teachers and killing custodians and killing members of the SWAT team. You can be the school shooter. Now, this is a game, it, it streams. It's not like a hard copy of a game that you go to GameStop and, and buy. What it is, it's one that you, you download over the Internet. So there's not a hard copy, but you, you use your PlayStation 3 or whatever, and, and you go and you pay the fifteen ninety nine, and you can download it. That's kind of how it works. I am not arguing the government should ban this from sale, but at the same time, I, if, you, if you're going to play something like this, I think you're a sick puppy. And the best way to respond to this is just to simply, I mean, really, just say no. 414-799-1620. James in Wauwatosa. Hi, James. Hey, hey, Jeff. It's been about three years since I talked to you because I actually bailed out of this country. So I'm back. Just caught you with this topic. I, I, I thought last week, and I think uh, the, the government should ban this. They should, they should, they should, uh, they should ban this. This is not good. There's too many freedoms. We've, we've, we've ruined it. We've right. Well, I mean, well, I mean, I guess the the thing is, where do you, I mean, where do you draw the line? Because people, James, would argue that just because you have a video game, that doesn't mean that you know it, it's it, it's just all fantasy and stuff, and it's you know it just because you have a video game doesn't mean that you're going to be a school shooter. But at the same time, I, I just think at some point in time you get to be a matter of taste. Now, I have a text here that's fair. How is this game any different than Grand Theft Auto, which has been around for decades? Grand Theft Auto is the game where you can, you know, you, you can be the car thief and you can get points for hitting pedestrians and, you know, police officers and things like that. Then the texter continues, um, um, just FYI, I don't agree with the plot of either game. But if this game wasn't titled Active Shooter, and we spoke in terms of terrorists as opposed to a school shooter, you know, would you be discussing it? Well, I, I don't know. Probably not, because there's all sorts of shoot 'em ups out there, but that's not what this is. This is, you know, you can get points for portraying 
the school shooter. And that's like I say, this goes beyond, you know, bad taste. Let's talk to uh, Hannah in Fredonia. Hannah, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Um, this is a little bit disturbing um, to think that people are even putting thought and effort into producing that kind of option in their game, in their product. You know, that, that takes that an effort, and, you know, people agree on that. Um, but really, maybe it's an opportunity. Uh, I'm not all for Big Brother and and monitoring every single thing right. our people are doing, but maybe this is an opportunity. Great, it's online. People have to register, perhaps, to log on to this game. Maybe make it a little red flag, a little uh, <laughs> a little exclamation part next to their their gaming experience that says, "Yeah, I'm one of those twisted uh, <laughs> minds that want to be." Are, are you with me, Hannah? And I, I like your phrase, a twisted mind. There, look, I, I, I understand that, that video games aren't reality, and I think the overwhelming percentage of people who do you know, feel that same way. But you do have to have something twisted if you're going to play a game like this, don't you? Absolutely. Uh, I think some of the ways we entertain ourselves uh, really kind of shows the core of a lot of people and, and maybe how our, our moral compass is. Just, um, kind of degrading. Um, yeah, I, I just I, now, now. right now. Thanks for calling. Now I'm going to get texts. I can tell you about people saying, "Well, this is no different." I mean, you, you know, you've you've got all these other mo- these video games that are out there that are you know promoting violent behavior, and, and I I understand all that. And you know, I I've had issues with certain of the things like Grand Theft Auto and all that. But even within that context. This is clearly a game maker that's trying to exploit an ongoing controversy. You hate to almost even talk about this because maybe somebody's listening to you and say, oh, maybe I'll download that. Maybe I'll try this thing out. Maybe I'll stream it and see how this all works, to which my response would be, I hope not. I got a text from Kevin. He says, I'm an avid gamer, and even I think a game like this is beyond the pale. Uh, yeah. In any event, if you want some more details about this, I know they're going to be talking about it on Wisconsin's Morning News tomorrow. The game is called Active Shooter. My advice would be, if you're tempted at all, just do what Nancy Reagan said back in the early 80s when she was talking about drugs, which is just say no. And I hope people just say no to Active Shooter and we can kind of move on. It's 154, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 2.07. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. I, I, I still remember this. when I, my, my, my former house in, in Whitefish Bay, when we first bought it years and years ago, had three big oak trees in the front yard. And one was dead, so I had to take that down. But there were two other oak trees. And one, I, I always noticed it, it listed. It kind of you know leaned to the, leaned to the left and, and just never thought anything of it. Because this is an oak tree... Um, 18, it goes back to 1860. I know that, and I'll tell you how in a, re- a minute. And this, gosh, it must have been 10 years ago, maybe maybe more. And it had been raining days and days. It was one of those, this was in June sometime, it was one of those, you know, wet springs that we get from time to time where it just rains and rains and rains and rains. And it was a Saturday night, and the doorbell rings. And there's a police officer, Whitefish Bay police office, and you know, answer the door, and the, she said, "It's it's all dark outside. It's really it's a dark and stormy night." And she says, "Do you know your tree is blocking the road?" 
I said, what do you mean? Do I know my tree is blocking the road? And I, I kind of look, you kind of turn on the lights. And what had happened is this giant oak tree that um, goes back to 18, 1850 something or other, actually, it, it, it had been listing, it had been leaning. And what happened is that the ground where the tree's roots were were just so saturated that they gave way and the thing fell. Now, the, the miracle, and it really was a miracle, was that the tree, this giant oak tree, it, it fell. And what it ended up doing is taking out a landscaping on the side of my house and kind of blocking the the road, but it didn't fall on my house. It didn't fall on either one of my neighbor's houses. It didn't fall on any cars, and it didn't hit anybody. I mean, this was, thankfully, it's like late on a Saturday night when this thing gives way. But the tree comes down, and you're standing there looking at this giant tree that, that's, that's there. But I, I've always been sensitive since then to what happens when you see some of these trees that are, are listening and leaning because you don't think they can go over. And the truth is, they, they can go over. Now, I was thinking about that as, as I saw this horrible story that came out um, from something that happened um, over the weekend. It actually, it happened it happened yesterday. And it, it goes back to something that I have been talking about off and on for, you know, going on 20 years now. As somebody who is part of the media, but also comments on on the media. If you haven't heard this story, um, the first tropical storm of the year is, is just battering the East Coast. It's Hurricane Alberto. You you perhaps seen some of the flooding and stuff that they have in in that, that suburb of Baltimore, where you got the cars being swept away. But all up and down the Eastern Seaboard, it's it's raining really hard. It's been a wet spring, and it's been raining really really hard. So what happens on Monday is there's a TV station in, in Greenville, South Carolina, which is kind of close to the North Carolina border, and they want to go out. Alberto's hitting. It's raining like, you know, Noah, get ready to build a boat. It's been raining. They're worried about mudslide. They're worried about slides. You know, they're, they're doing all these sort of cautionary type of tales. And this TV station in South Carolina sends a, a photojournalist, a cameraman, and sends a reporter sends them out into the middle of this storm to do like a stand-up thing by the side of the road. They're out in North Carolina, and they're, you know, the whole idea is, you know, for the news, they're going to do a, a live shot where the cameraman is filming the guy standing saying, hey, it's raining like you know what, and authorities are saying, be careful, don't go out. Well, what ends up happening, they're covering the severe weather, and apparently what happens is, there's a, a big tree which gives way, just I think kind of like that giant oak tree gave way in my front yard a long time ago. And in my situation, thankfully, there wasn't anybody around. It didn't land on anybody. But in this particular case, this tree and this pouring rain gives way, and it ends up landing on the SUV, the station vehicle uh, that contains the reporter and that contains the, the photojournalist, the cameraman. And um, they're, they're dead. They're killed because of, of the tree collapsing. Now, this it's a horrible story. I mean, it, it's just horrible. And here you have these two people who lost their lives, and they were out there trying to bring the, these stories you know, to us about you know, what the conditions are like. But and let me read the way the New York Times describes this to frame the issue. There is a longstanding tradition of television crews standing in the middle of dangerous storms, in part to exhibit their unflinching desire to be on the scene for a significant event. 
but the news value of dangerous stand-ups, that's what they call them in the business, stand-ups, in which a correspondent is seen in the field talking to the camera is increasingly being questioned and came under extra scrutiny last year when videos of reporters being lashed by hurricane-strength winds were shared widely on social media. Um, you know, the police chief up there says it was a freak of nature occurrence. It's one of those things that you know is going to happen. You can't predict it when it may happen. You just don't know when. And both men who were killed were in their 30s. It, it, it's true. It is a freak occurrence. There, there's no question about that. But, and this is what I want to discuss with you. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Maybe it's because over the years, I, I know a lot of people who work in television. And you, you see these, whether it's local or whether it's national. You see when these bad weather situations arise. And we're telling everybody, don't go out. It's dangerous. There's flooding. There's a hurricane or whatever. And inevitably, you see the poor reporter and the camera person who's filming the reporter out in the middle of the driving rainstorm or out in the middle of the blizzard or out in the middle of the hurricane as light poles are getting blown over and wires are coming down. Um, and, and it's all to get the, the shot. Right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand what happened yesterday is, is a freak accident. It's an incredible tragedy. And, and I understand that freak accidents happen. But for the longest time, I have been hoping that the people who do television news rethink the necessity of sending people, these reporters, out in the middle of these hazardous situations just to get the, the pictures. I mean, if you want to get the pictures, can't you plant a camera somewhere inside and get the film? We know what the big rainstorms look like. We, we know what the heavy winds, you know, buffeting a, a beach look like. Do we need to see the reporters standing by the side of the road in the monsoon saying, okay, it, it's unsafe out here? Do we need to see them on the beach with, with the hurricane? And, and honestly, and this is a horrible story yesterday. It's just a horrible story, and I understand it was freak, but do, do we need to see that? Do we need to keep sending reporters out? Or do we get it? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And candidly, I've been thinking this for the last several years, that, that somebody is, is going to get killed being sent into conditions when we're telling everybody else, get off the streets. 414-799-1620. Do we need to see pictures of people standing in the rainstorms or standing in the blizzard or standing in the hurricane or or? Or do we get it without that? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 215. This is Jeff Wagner. 218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Bob in Milwaukee. Hi, Bob. Hey, Jeff. I think think this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life, to put people out in storms, showing you what it looks like when you're telling them to stay home, Mm -hmm. not safe to be out here. You're putting the reporter's risk, life at risk. You're putting the public at risk. It is a safety issue that is just, Ridiculous. Right. You, you can have the stationary camera that's out there without somebody there. You don't need to put the poor reporter on the beach or by the side of the road in the monsoon where they're putting him at risk. People, there's other ways you can tell it without having that person there. Look out your window. 
Yeah, well, you can see what it's doing. Right, right, and and put the camera out the window. I mean, you can still do the shots out of it. Okay, here we're going to go out to the front windows and we're going to show you what this is. We we don't need to send somebody down to the beach when we're telling everybody else get get inside. And I. I, I tell you, Bob, this is, I know this was a freak accident, but this is something that I think a lot of people have been saying, this is going to happen. Somebody is going to get hurt sooner or later, and I wonder whether it's going to make the news directors around this country maybe reassess, um, it, it, are there ways we can tell the story without putting these reporters in danger? Because that's what you're doing. It's just, and you've also, now you've got the company's liability, the workman's comp claim, the lawsuits from the family. It's just... Yeah. No, thank, thanks for calling. And, and, and the worst thing is you got two people that are dead. And, and look, and I, I, I understand that you know, whoever sent them out there, I mean, you don't think that this is going to happen, and you tell them to be careful, and this is this type of freak thing. But at some point in time, all right, we've, we're now at a point where we, we know what hurricanes look like. We know what massive rainstorms look like. And you need to see that reporter standing in the middle of the hurricane being buffeted and you see the light poles that are going down next to them i mean at some point in time shouldn't you just say all right here, here's it, it's a hurricane that's out there use file footage or whatever i mean pretty much like one hurricane you know when when they're hitting one giant rainstorm with water going sideways at 100 miles an hour looks pretty much the same as the other and i guess i i really do that this story kind of struck me as somebody who candidly you know knows a lot of people who work in in the industry and this happened to happen you know to this happened involving these reporters that were in south carolina but it it could have happened anywhere it it could have happened anywhere and my guess is it'll happen again unless we kind of rethink the way we approach this and candidly as, as a viewer i don't know that it enhances my understanding of a situation to see you know somebody there being buffeted by the rain all right, show me the radar. Tell me what's going on. You can show me some of the file footage or whatever. I don't need to see some poor person standing on a beach. Mark and Brown Deer. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mark. I blame, I blame the consultants and management because the consultants in virtually every TV station across the country keep telling management, establish presence. Send your crew out to the point of action. Yeah. And instead of having the dumps in to say, no, this is too dangerous, and crews these days usually don't feel comfortable saying no to an assignment. Right. So they go out there, and unfortunately, this type of thing can happen. It did in North Carolina. And maybe yeah. this will get the management and, and consultants to realize it's not worth it. Right, because, I mean, I understand the idea of, hey, there's a breaking news story. You want to be on the scene. I get that. And in, in general, I think, Mark, I would probably agree with it, except when you're putting the reporters' lives at risk, sending them into the middle of a situation when you're telling everybody else, get inside, take cover. I mean, that's what makes no sense to me. Exactly. And the producers and the consultants, they don't have to go out there in the, in the dangerous conditions. They just send other people out. They stay in the warm, hot, <laughs> Right, and look at it. Like, right, no, no, thanks for calling. No, and it, look, and I get it, it makes great pictures, and I get that there's this competitive sort of nature to it, but I mean, that's one of the things I would ask you. I mean, the next time that we're going through one of these situations where it, it really is a, a life threatening thing, and I'm not talking about, you know, your casual rainstorm or something, and, and you see the poor reporter that's out there by the side of the road standing out in the middle of it. 
and there's lightning and thunder or there's whatever, I mean, I, I think what I would ask is, is it really worth that? And I, I know exactly what Mark was talking about. I mean, I understand you want to have people go out to the scene. Well, I, I get it. If there's, you know, a five alarm fire, all right, you, you get out, you report from the scene of the fire, but you're, you know, you stand far enough back that you're not in danger. I mean, if something's going on, I, I get it. You know, you, you want to be on the scene, but, you know, when it's a dangerous weather event, you know, hopefully, I, I don't know that there's many silver linings that come out of a bad story like this. Two people lost their lives, but maybe some people like take a hard look and say, "All right, do we really need to keep doing this, or can we maybe can we maybe change the way we think about this?" Because at the end of the day, these reporters are people too. Two twenty-four, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two twenty-six, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's always interesting to me to see. People from one political party or the other getting ready to commit what, in my opinion, will be political suicide. And that's one of the things that you're going to see happen this weekend at the state Democratic Convention, where you're going to have 9, 10, 11, 12 people who want to be the nominee to run against Scott Walker. And I, I think, in some respects, many of the people who are running don't think they can beat Scott Walker this time. But they're hoping that Walker decides he's not going to run for another term after this one, and maybe they'll position themselves as being the leader of the party, and they can use this as a launching pad for a career down down the line. But but the interesting thing is, there is at least one thing that the Democratic candidates appear to agree on, and that is they want to repeal, run on a platform of repealing Act 10. Now, you, of course, remember Act 10? Act 10 was the legislation that led to the recall and all the protests and things like that where people were outraged. Act 10 essentially said that, you know, public sector unions were barred from negotiating over anything but wages and they were barred from seeking increases that were higher than inflation. All right. And you will remember at the time with Act 10, you had people who were saying, oh, this is going to destroy public service. This is just going to be terrible. People are going to be leaving. We're not going to be able to replace people. The whole infrastructure of the state is going to fall. And, you know, it's just going to be terrible. And, and they're, they're, you know, we're going to have employees. They're going to have to contribute more to their health insurance and stuff. And the truth of the matter is, since Act 10 has been in place, it has firmed up the financial um, footings of the state. You have not seen this devastation of the public sector. People are still working at the jobs. Public sector jobs, working for the state, is still a pretty darn good gig. And what you've got is you've gotten some control over the budget to the point that now you've been able to have property tax decreases year after year after year. You've got a surplus in the budget, which has been returned to or is in the process of being returned to the taxpayers. So if the idea is you want to run on a platform of repealing Act 10 for public sector workers to allow them to get larger raises, if that's really the agenda that you want to push, I would say good luck. But it seems to me that that's kind of the recipe for, oh, about 43% of the vote. The truth of the matter is, Act 10 has been a huge success. And I understand they might try to find some individual here or there or whatever who said, well, I don't have it as good. But at the same time, this idea that it was going to be devastating to the state and devastating to the economy and destroy the entire public sector, that was always a silly argument. It hasn't come true. 
I understand some of the hardcore union activists still don't like the fact that they, they've lost a lot of membership because now as part of Act 10, unions have to actually try to convince their workers why the union is good for them, and in many cases they fail to make that case. But this whole idea that, oh, Act 10 would destroy the state hasn't worked out that way. And if you want to relitigate 2011 and 2012 and make the 2018 campaign a referendum on Act 10, I think Governor Walker's people are going to say, bring it on. All right, when we come back in just a couple minutes, all right, they've been calling this particular item of clothing a certain name for about 70 years. Is it insensitive? Stick around. It's 2.30. It's 2.35. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Red Hot Brewers continue their series with the rival St. Louis Cardinals. Hall of Famer Bob Euchre is on the call. Our coverage starts at 6.05 this evening, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. I'm going to the game this evening. If you can't go, be sure to tune in to WTMJ. I'm telling you, this has the makings of a special season for the Brewers, and get out and support them. And like I say, if you can't get to the game, and hopefully they're going to have a huge crowd out there tonight at St. Louis. Cardinals fans always travel well. I give them credit for that, but um, this is Miller Park. We want to make sure that there's lots and lots of Brewers fans there, and uh, get on out. If you can't get to the game, be sure to listen. Again, our coverage starts at 6.05 this evening. Okay, Gru, who is producing the show today, here's a test. If I were to say to you, I went over to Joe's house, and his dad was wearing a wife beater. What would you understand that to be? A white tank top, right? A a sleeveless T-shirt. You wouldn't understand me to be saying Joe's dad had just beaten his wife. You would say, okay, it's that white tank top. Right, that's the common reference. Uh, And if you've never heard this, I mean, but I, I think... The common reference would be a uh, it's 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 a sleeveless ribbed undershirt. Um, I, I guess it's technically called an A shirt, but I I've never heard it referred to that. I've always heard it referred to as a wife beater. Now the history of where this name comes from is somewhat unclear, but one of the common things is they think this goes back to the the old Tennessee Williams play, A Streetcar Named Desire. And it was made into a movie starring Marlon Brando back when Marlon Brando was this young, strapping actor. And um, Marlon Brando played the character Stanley Kowalski. And in, in the movie, he wears a sleeveless shirt like that. He rages, he yells, um, he hits his wife, Stella. Um, and, and so that's, that's where I think a lot of people think the genesis of the term describing the shirt as a wife beater comes from. But it, it's been something that I, I has been a, a common phrase that I've certainly grown up with. And when somebody says, hey, he's wearing a wife beater shirt, that's the first thing I think of. It is the sleeveless T-shirt. That's what I think of as describing it. All right, let me share with you an opinion piece that appeared in the New York Times yesterday. Are we really still calling this shirt a wife beater? Not long ago, an acquaintance mentioned that her dad wears wife beaters. She was referring to the sleeveless ribbed undershirt, also known as an A-shirt. I myself, this is the columnist, have used the term before, and I've worn the shirt plenty, but this time it stopped me cold. Given the torrent of revelations of abuse against women in the hashtag MeToo era, the name suddenly seemed grossly inappropriate. We don't call our pants child molesters or our hats cute cat 
our hats cat mutilators. We immediately recognize such descriptions as violent and abhorrent, and yet we somehow overlook the same when we call our shirts wife beaters. How did such a graphically violent term insinuate itself into American slang? And then he goes on to talk about what I was just discussing, the whole thing about, you know, Marlon Brando, etc., etc. Let's see. In 2018, it's difficult to articulate a rule that reliably separates those who wear the A shirt, that would be the wife beaters, from those who don't, beyond a general sense that the shirt seems to have been associated with ambiguous whiteness and a blue-collar background. Is this vilification of working-class men fair? Am I being too literal? But how can we overlook the literal meaning of the words emanating from our mouths? Or as one young woman told the New York Times in 2001 when asked to consider what the words meant, now that you mention it, I'm like, wow, people are, okay, now then they quote a, a guy named Adam Klein, an assistant professor of communication studies, says, people aren't calling it a wife beater because they believe that beating your wife is okay, but the willingness to casually evoke violence against women implies a strange double standard. We accept misogyny as cool. Uh, he said, even as we know that racism is unacceptable. All right. Interesting. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You don't need the hashtag MeToo movement to tell you that violence against women is and should be unacceptable. No question about it. This is a shirt that has been referred to in this fashion, like I say, for 60 or 70 years. My guess is if I describe that shirt, if I use that term, wife beater, immediately you know what comes to mind. It is now 2018. Do we need to remove that term from our vocabulary? Is it offensive? Does it condone violence to women? Or is this an example of political correctness run amok? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss the wife beater. Not an individual, but the shirt. Just a minute. Stick around. If you're on the line, hold on. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do we need to stop calling these particular shirts wife beaters? We're back to discuss in just a minute. It's 241. 244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Interesting opinion piece in the New York Times yesterday about, if I use the term, if we're talking about an article of clothing and you say, oh, Joe's dad was wearing a wife beater, it's this, you know, he's referring to like a sleeveless T-shirt. This piece in the New York Times says, I understand that we've been calling these sleeveless T-shirts that for the last 60 or 70 years, but in a day of hashtag MeToo, it it promotes misogyny and violence to women. We need to eliminate that term. All right. What do you think? 414-799-1620. Katie in Burlington. Hi, Katie. Hi. What I do you find think? this guy absolutely ridiculous, and this is why. First of all, it's not offensive in light of the Me Too movement. It's always been a term that has been somewhat offensive and crude, and it's supposed to reflect exactly that, sort of the type of person that maybe is loud and swears in front of his grandkids and drinks the Pabst Blue Ribbon and not necessarily. I, wait a second, Katie. I had a Pabst Blue Ribbon yesterday. Wait a second here. <laughs> I'm kissing my grandpa. He wore them all the time. And, and there was no violence involved. And people think, oh, if we don't say it, it doesn't exist. Or we don't have a, a shirt referred to it as that as a, more of a reflection of someone who maybe is crude and basic, not necessarily a certain race or age or anything like that. 
um, somehow if we eliminate that, it, it eliminates violence. It's like everyone wants to skim over. Mm-hmm. Harvey Weinstein never wore a wife beater when he was doing the things he did. <laughs> you yeah. know? I mean, it's just focus on what the true issue is. Address it if you see it. Advocate for women. Empower women. Empower yourself. Instead of thinking, oh, if I don't call it a wife beater, that will somehow, that somehow causes someone to do something. If I, I call him that, he's wearing it. I mean, it's it just, it seems to just miss the point. Mm-hmm. It seems the easy solution to a hard, hard problem. Well, or, or in this particular case, when you're trying to deal with the name of something, maybe you're trying to um, find, find a, a problem, find a problem for a solution, because the whole okay. idea is, yeah, right, thanks for the call, 414-799-1620. Okay, should we be offended by this? Now, obviously, I guess the question becomes, by calling this shirt what people have called this shirt for decades, are you trivializing the very real issue of you know domestic abuse? Okay, here's a text. Are you kidding me? I'm a 60-year-old woman. I wear wife beaters to do yard work. People have gone crazy with everything that they get offended um, by. 414-799-1620. Okay, let's talk about, let's talk to Alex in Milwaukee. Alex, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi. What do you think? Um, I'm not going to crusade to keep it as part of the vernacular, and I'm not going to scold and shame people if they continue to use it complete waste of mental energy to care one way or another got it so it's not one that that this is just see i think what might happen as time goes on my guess is this usage is going to fade i I think it's already somewhat archaic you know and again i don't yeah i don't care if it does yeah well well, (laughs) right yeah i mean i've got bigger things in life to be concerned about than whether or not wife beater sticks around but if you hear somebody using that term you're not going to think that they're you know denigrating women or that they're promoting violence towards women it's just kind of that yeah oh that's silly no thanks but i guess that's how i feel about it too and and this is from the perspective of somebody who does not wear sleeveless t-shirts because it's just not a look that goes that looks good on me not saying it doesn't look good on a young marlon brando or something it's never looked good on me um, let's say, would I, uh, would I, here's a text, would I be offended? No. Would I say it at work? No. Um, would I say it to friends? Yes. Um, I, again, I guess one of the things that struck me about this is that we take, and it kind of goes back to the point that Katie was making a little bit earlier. We have legitimate issues in this country with regard to, you know, violence towards women and things like that. But I think, you know, to suggest that, okay, this, this name trivializes the very real concern about violence to women, I think that's, that's kind of an overstretch because I think candidly, when people use this term as it is related to an article of clothing, they're not thinking of somebody who's beating their wife and they're certainly not endorsing you know, beating wives. 414-799-1620. Jim in Kenosha. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, I happen to be wearing one of those uh, so-called shirts right now myself. Okay. Um, I'm out in the backyard doing lawn work. And um happened every day off. And my wife actually told me, make sure you wear one of your wife beater shirts when you go out there because I don't want you getting a good shirt uh, dirty. Right. Right, exactly. So if... If somebody were to drive by and say, ah, Jim's wearing this wife beater here. Hey, Jim, you look good in that wife beater. You're not going to be offended by that. No, not at all. Not at all. I, I, I you know, I wear them when I uh, uh, do other activities uh, because I'm going to get hot. And it's, right. It's, it's comfortable. Sure. Sure. Um, calling it a wife beater or not. Well, okay. If the term is politically not correct, um, you know, 
It, well, it's, um, it's, if it's, it offends you, get a helmet. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's you know what. One of right. the best things in the world. Uh, life's tough. Get a helmet. Thanks for the call. That's Wagner's rule of life number one. If you're new to joining us, life is tough. Get a helmet. Here's a text. In California, they simply call it a beater. No word. Not the word wife. Um, well, I assume that's kind of been shortened in that fashion. But I guess, I mean, you know, I, mean, I think it's this attitude that that some people are looking at it, saying, okay, well, if we call this shirt that name, that means that we are endorsing the whole concept of violence towards women. And and I just I don't believe that that's how the vast majority or almost everybody would interpret that. Carl in Kenosha. Hi, Carl. You're on WTMJ. Hey, thank you for my call. Sure. I pretty much agree with all the callers, but I add one little thing. People use terminology that they don't really understand. Like the uh, you ever heard of the term uh, rule of thumb? Rule of thumb. Okay. Yeah. Sure. That goes back to when uh, at one point men were able to beat their wives with a stick no bigger than your thumb. Really? People say that, yeah. See, I've learned something. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's just something for people want to gripe, like you say, uh, over and over again. And it, it, like a, a previous caller just said, you know, his wife said, "Put on your wife beater." So. Well, right, or yeah, or the right thanks, or the, or the the woman who just texted me saying, "I I I wear the wife beaters all the time." It, it's sort of become this sort of generic term, and I guess I I look at this and I think. Uh, and I'm, I'm getting a couple texts from people who say that they know people who've been injured from domestic abuse and all that. And, and so, you know, they don't like the term. But I, I don't, I think you make a mistake if you try to mix up, gee, you know, that term with the very real act of domestic violence that leads to the wife beating and stuff. And I guess I wish I had a better idea on the history. Most of the stuff I could find says it does go back to like Marlon Brando wearing that particular shirt. And, you know, in, in many respects, I think sometimes people, I mean, Brando looked great in, in that particular shirt. In any event, if you want to read this piece, it's the New York Times over the weekend. Um, are we really still calling this shirt a wife beater? And I guess I would just simply say, given the myriad of issues, real issues that we have to deal with in today's society, whether it's involving race relations or violence towards women, I, I think, you know, whatever it's going to be, I guess concern for the name we call this particular shirt and have used to refer to this shirt over the last 60, 70 years, um, if we're going to worry about things, that would kind of be like number 125 on my list of the top 10. Hey, I didn't want uh, John McCure and Melissa Barkley are coming in just a couple minutes. I, I didn't want the program to end with, without commenting on, uh, again, another violent weekend. And I we, we were having a production meeting, I think it was probably Thursday or Friday, you know, talking about the weekend and the stories we anticipated were going to break. And, and my comment was, well, unfortunately, this is going to be the first warm weekend around here. And what that means is the number of shootings are going to absolutely spike. And, of course, that's precisely what happened um, within 12 hours yesterday. You had one person dead, six others injured as a result of shootings. Over the Memorial Day weekend, 14 separate shootings, three killed, 12 injured in 14 separate shootings. And I bring this up simply to say there's been a lot of scrutiny about the police lately. And, you know, what what did the police do? And did they overreact when they, you know, took somebody down? Did they overreact when they used a taser? All those different types of things, which are legitimate issues for discussion. But you, you got to understand, in some respects, what the police are dealing with on a daily basis. I mean, just think of this. Over a weekend, 14 separate shootings, three killed, 12 injured. 
And, you know, one after another, you've got police that are responding to crime scenes. Now, that does not mean you've got to endorse the police officers behaving badly. But if you understand, if you realize, if you ever wonder why sometimes, you know, a police officer happening on a scene at 2.30 in the morning seems like he's on about his last nerve, well, it it might be because of, of all the stuff that you deal with on a daily basis. And the bottom line is, for all the people out there that, you know, don't like or don't trust the police or want to see the cops get sued, imagine what the world would look like if on a weekend where you've got 14 separate shootings, three killed, 12 injured, imagine if there wasn't an effective police force that was out there. Just saying. It's 255. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.